Okay, if we have, you have your Bible with you, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 10. This story, this passage we come to today is really quite bizarre. The um, more time I spent in it during the week, the, the more I began to realise that God often does some seemingly amazing, kind of crazy, unexpected things to achieve his ends. Sometimes God will begin to do something in our lives, the end of which is going to be quite wonderful, but at the beginning of it all, we really have to wonder, where is God in this, and can God possibly be doing things this way? So let's have a look at this passage together and see what God might have to say to each of us here today. Acts 10, verse 1 says, In Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a centurion of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. Let's just stop there for a moment. It's important we understand exactly who this, this Cornelius character is. Cornelius was a centurion, a centurion of the Roman army. Now, a centurion was the commander of a hundred men. Now, there's about a hundred people here today. So if you imagine, as you look around this room, a hundred soldiers all kitted out, all just trained killers, that's what it was like. A centurion had this many men under his command. And uh, so there were six centurions, each with their hundred men, were placed together. And these 600 soldiers with their centurions were called a cohort. So a cohort has 600 men, 10 cohorts was known as a legion, that's 6,000 soldiers. The point is this, Caesarea was a coastal town. It was a, a seat of Roman power in Judea. And this guy Cornelius was one of the powerful guys in the town of Caesarea. He was one of the really kind of powerful local guys. As I said, centurions had 100 men under their command and it was their job to keep the peace. And as a result, they could be particularly harsh in their dealings with the local people because for them it was all about just keep the peace. That's what matters, that everyone just goes about their daily duties, they pay their taxes. If you're part of an area that grows wheat, that you grow wheat really well. If you're in an area that raises sheep and goats, that you just do that and there's no one mucks around. And so a centurion was generally someone to be feared. He was certainly someone to respect. He wielded a lot of local power. Now, a centurion's wage was five times what the general kind of soldier earned. So he was also a relatively wealthy individual. And being powerful, he could probably extort a little bit more here and there out of different ones. So he was a, a wealthy, powerful individual. What is strange about Cornelius, however, is that he was, the text says, he was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. That's what it says. This Roman soldier, this captain, this centurion, had at some stage in the past converted to Judaism, and now he worshipped the God of the Israelites. In fact, the text says his whole household did so. So he was devout. That means he obeyed the religious laws of the Old Testament and it says he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. Cornelius was not your average Roman centurion. Got that? Okay, verse 3. 
One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon, a tanner, who lives near the seashore. How strange. How strange. Cornelius is praying at three in the afternoon. That was traditionally the time of prayer for Jews. He's praying and an angel appeared to him and called him by name. Imagine that. Cornelius is, is terrified and can only respond with, what, what is it, Lord? The angel told him that his gifts to the poor and his prayers have ascended to God as an acceptable, pleasing offering. God was pleased with the behaviour of this man, the way he lived his life. God was pleased with this Roman centurion who feared God and his life, it seemed, smelt sweet to the Lord Almighty. I think we need to look closely at these words about Cornelius and we need to ask ourselves, is my life, is my life an offering to God? Is it an offering he is pleased with? I mean, let's ask ourselves, what fills my day? What fills my mind? What do I spend my time thinking about? Where are my energies directed? Where are my resources used? You know, it has been said that a, a man is a sum of his habits. I think that's really true. A man's life is a sum of his habits. What fills my day? What fills my mind? What do I spend my time thinking about? Where are my energies directed? You know what Paul wrote to the Philippians about this, this whole mind issue? He said, fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent Think about stuff that is worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Now that's what should fill our mind. Is God the Father watching you and saying to Jesus, sitting at his right hand, look, look, look what John is doing. Look at him, go. Is he bragging about you? Isn't that great? That's an offering which smells good to us. You see, that is what was happening for Cornelius. Cornelius didn't know about Jesus yet. He didn't know the good news of the gospel, but he worshipped the living God within the knowledge he already had. He served the poor, he prayed continually. That's what it says. And God was pleased with him. God was pleased with Cornelius. Now, I want you to notice something here. It's an important point. Cornelius, as we've said, is a strange animal, a God-fearing, devout Roman centurion who lives like a Jew. But he's a Roman. And God calls him to do something which would have gone against everything 
he'd previously learnt about the Jewish faith. God called him to do something which was against the Old Testament law by which Cornelius lived. Remember, he was devout. It was against the law to meet with someone who'd been in contact with a dead body. And it was against the law for a Jew to enter even the house of a Gentile, let alone a Roman centurion. Everything was wrong about this, or so it seemed. See, the angel said to Cornelius, send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging, he is staying with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. Now, Simon was a tanner. A tanner. He spent his days handling dead animals. That's why he lived where he lived. You see, he lived by the sea because the hope was that the sea breeze that came up every afternoon would get the terrible stench away. People didn't want to hang out with Simon the Tanner because he stunk. He did. That's why his house was by the sea. But you see, Peter was staying with him. And the very fact that Peter was staying with him says something, doesn't it? about the work that God was already doing in Peter's life. And now, on top of that, God was calling Cornelius, this God-fearing Jewish living Roman centurion, to go and call Peter from a tanner's house. Very irregular. Very surprising. Very much unexpected behaviour. But that is what God so often does, is it not? So often God calls us to do things which don't seem to make sense at the time. And, and later on, as we look back and see what God was taking us on a journey into a, a, fu a future that is far greater than we could have imagined for ourselves. So let's read on from verse 7. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. So Cornelius obeyed without question, without delay. He did exactly what the Lord told him to do, even though it must have seemed somewhat strange to him. He did what he was told. He sent two of his household servants and a devout soldier, three God-fearers, sent the, the 50K south to find Peter by the sea at Simon the Tanner's house. Now God's spirit, while this was happening, was bringing all of this together as only he can. This is what we've got to do. We've got to always be looking for what God is doing amongst us. We need to be looking for where the Holy Spirit is working and get involved as he calls us, as he directs us. As the three men made their way south to Joppa, you see, God was working in Peter. Verse 9 says, The next day... As Cornelius' messages were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. 
Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. And standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up and go downstairs and go with them without question, without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? And they said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. Now this may seem like a small thing to invite complete strangers into your home. Even when it seems God is in it, it can be somewhat unsettling to do something like this, especially when the Romans are involved. I can't help feeling that Peter might have wondered where all of this would lead. And I, lo I love the way in the Word of God we have these we have these kind of deeply mystical, spiritual things that happen where someone's having a vision and it's all happening in the kind of earthy realm of Peter was hungry and he was waiting for dinner and it was hot and he went up on the roof because he was hungry and he wanted to pray and so he went up there to get away and in the midst of all that, God showed up. But then this, the next step is something that must have been very unsettling for him, to have a, a Roman soldier arrived with two Roman servants, he must have wondered where on earth this would end up. You know, some years ago when Louise and I lived at Carryong, we had a whole heap of young people. Now, this was, this was actually before Brendan was born, so it's some years ago now. We were a, a young couple, and we had a whole heap of young people meeting in our home for, for Bible study every, I think it was Wednesday night. And a part of what we were doing, together we were reading this book, by this guy, Keith Green. Now, many of you older people would remember Keith Green and many of the younger people would go, huh? We'd remember him all. But anyway, Keith Green wrote this awesome book called No Compromise. And, oh, mate, it's just a life-changing book. It's a story of his, his life. And uh, anyway, Keith Green was a great musician and he was killed in a plane crash very suddenly with three of his children. Anyway, we're, we're reading this book because all of this has just kind of happened in the, in the previous few years. We're reading this book, and part of that book, what really struck me was the way that Keith and Melody Green opened their homes to just their, their home to complete strangers would come in. Wherever they were, they just invited people in, and they were just building this church of all these, these drifters, these people coming in and out. Anyway, I got the group. We're talking about this. We're reading the Bible, etc. And then I got everyone to disperse around our house. There's about 20, 25 of us there. Anyway, I went out on the front doorstep and it was, the whole idea was just to go out there and have time with God, you know, for 15 minutes or so. So I go out there. I'm on the front step of our house. No one else is around and I'm praying, God, make me more like Keith Green. Lord, make me more willing to open my house, my beautiful new house that we've just built to strangers. Lord, help me be more like Keith Green. 
And then the phone rang. And I straight away said to myself, Oh, I'm having this great time of prayer. Who can that be? Oh, so I go in. I answer the phone. And this guy says, Murray. Yeah, mate. Hey, mate, my name's Carlos. You don't know me, but I've just started coming to your church. Right? And he says, Look, I'm down on Gosford Railway Station. And I hear you look after our youth group. And I'm talking to this homeless guy down here. He's a young bloke and he's looking for somewhere to live. And I'm just wondering, do you reckon you could kind of do something for him? Could, could he come and stay with you? I mean, what are you going to say, hey? I've just been praying that as the phone rang. I'm freaking out. This cannot be a coincidence. This has got to be God. So I said, oh, Carlos, man, I need to just check with Louise. So I go in, I find Louise. And she went, mm, okay, okay. You know, this young guy comes. Carlos brings him round and just goes, there you are, mate. Don't know why Carlos couldn't have taken him. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Carlos dumped him on us. This young bloke came in and oh, he seemed a bit lost and yeah, he needed a job. Now, I'm working in Sydney. In a, you know, I'm a designer working in a manufacturing place and employs about 25 people. So I go to my boss and say, hey, can we give this guy a job? And he goes, sweeping the floor or something. He goes, yeah, okay. Yeah, bring him down. So the next day, next day this fella comes down and he yeah, so organised he's got a job. It's great. Look, it's great. So a few days go by and then he stole Louise's car. <laughs> You can imagine, I was pretty upset. And I wasn't just upset with him. I was pretty upset with God. You know, three days later, he rocks up with the car. I sat him down. Because, you see, I didn't look good in front of my boss either because when he stole the car, he didn't turn up to work. Anyway, he had some lame excuse. Anyway, I read him the riot act and, and all that. But before... Before that, I, um, he left this bag there. So I go through his bag and I found this bit of paper and it had this number on it. So I rang the number and it was his mum. And his mum went, now you haven't given him anything, have you? Whatever. Oh no, you didn't give him the car. No, we actually took the car. Oh, so anyway, she's freaking out. Anyway, he comes back. Somehow I reconnected him with his mum and I never heard from him again. And to this day, I have no idea what that was all about. But we were obedient. And I have no doubt that somehow God wanted to teach me something in that moment or in those days just about listening to him and doing what he told me to do. And we were all okay. And I know he reconnected with his mum and... I kind of like to think that maybe he got over some type of hurdle that they needed to get over. And I can't help thinking Peter must have been, you know, had similar concerns about these unknown Romans who came looking for remembrance. Only a couple of chapters later in Acts, when we read that Herod arrested Peter and James, and James was actually put to death by the sword. So I can imagine that Peter would have had concerns about welcoming these men, these Romans, into his home. But nonetheless, he was obedient and he welcomed them in 
and they left for Caesarea the following day. Verse 24 says, They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them, and they had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the home, as Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up! I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside, where many others were assembled. And Peter told them, Now it's against our law for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. See what I mean? That's straight from Peter's mouth. This whole story is full of events which just should not have happened in the first century. But God was doing a new thing and it was wonderful. Peter told them, You know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. I want to ask you today, who are the people who for you are impure or unclean? Some other translations use the word common. Who are the people who for you are beneath your attention, beneath your love and concern? Is it that person you know who lives an immoral lifestyle? I mean, deep within you, just between you and God, you know that your word for her is, you're not going to say it, but it's there. In your mind, she's... She's cheap. She's beneath your concern. You feel contempt for her. See, God was showing Peter and God is showing us today that we should no longer think like this. Every person, regardless of whether they're young or old or beautiful or, or not so beautiful or fat or thin or rich or poor, every person is precious in the eyes of God. Is it that person who, who really isn't that sharp? I mean, there's no question about it. They're just not that bright. But, you know, there's nothing they can do about that. They just don't get things as quickly as you get them. That's just who they are. But as a result, do you look down on that person? See, God may be challenging you about your attitude toward that person. Is there someone you know who's from another racial group to yours? And because of their race, you think of them poorly. Now, I was speaking to a, just a friend, he's a guy from the community, he's not from our kind of church community here, and, uh, and he just said it so naturally. I thought, this has been ingrained in you your whole life. And he said, oh, mate, have you heard that there's an Asian running the, the news agent? I'm not buying a newspaper off an Asian, he said. No way. He was just disgusted that an Asian would be running a business and he would have to buy a newspaper off him. There's no room for racism in the family of God. Peter said, But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Every person, regardless of whether they're young or old, beautiful or not so beautiful, 
fat or thin, clever, not so clever, black or white, every person is precious in the eyes of God. Cornelius then told Peter and his, his friends all about the vision God had given him and how he came to invite them to Caesarea. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Peter then shared the gospel with this group of people. He told them all about Jesus and about how he died on a Roman cross to, to pay for their sins. But God raised him from the dead and now he was alive and they could find forgiveness by trusting in him. Verse 44, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they feared that they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And afterwards, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. It's a great story, isn't it? It's a great story. In saying that, I'm not saying for a moment, but I don't think it's true. It's just a great story of one of millions of what God is doing in his world. Who would have thought that God would use a Roman centurion to bring the gospel message through the words of Peter and that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on the Gentiles in this way. So a couple of very important points for us to take from this passage. A couple of points which we need to do some really honest work with God on. First one is this. Is your life, is your life, and by that I mean the very normal day-to-day, week-in, week-out habits that make up your life, Are they a fragrant offering to God? Is your life a response to the love and grace of God which has already been poured out on you? Is it likely that God is boasting to those around about him about the offering of your life? As was happening for Cornelius. If the answer to that is no, my prayer is that you would humbly confess that to God. You know, confession is just agreeing with God. That's it. God's Holy Spirit shows you something. Confession is just, yes, that's right. That is right, Lord. What you're saying to me is true. And that you would then change the way you live. You would turn your life around so that your habits become a sweet-smelling aroma. An offering to God. So Paul said, we can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. It's in the first chapter, the first verses of his letter to the Philippians. You know, we have a lot of retired people in our church. It seems to me that retirement is a gift. It's a gift that millions of people around the world will never enjoy. They will work to the end of their life because they have to. There is no option. But not so in Australia. Retirement is something that most Australians look forward to. 
In fact, at the moment, record numbers of Australians are spending their retirement travelling around the country doing the whole grey nomad thing, propping up local communities everywhere, I'm told. Now, talking to some retirees, I really have to wonder what they will say to the Lord when they stand before him, when they have to give an account for what they have done with all that they were blessed with. You know, remember the Lord told a parable about this. It's known as the, the parable of the talents. Or in more modern translations, it's called the parable of the gold bags, the bags of gold. Because that's what a talent is. It's not your ability to play guitar. It's not about talent like that. It's a measure of wealth. You remember the story? One servant is given five bags of gold. The other two, the last one, one. The master goes on a long trip. And when he returns, the servants are judged by what they did with what they were given. Very simple. Jesus tells the story. He says they were judged by what they did with the five bags of gold or the one bag of gold. You can read it. We won't read it today, but you can read that in Matthew 25. What I find interesting about this parable is it's the last recorded parable of Jesus in the two gospel accounts where it appears, Matthew and Luke. Immediately following the record of this parable, Jesus spoke about the final judgment, about in the end the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people like sheep and goats are separated. And it's very interesting because in that passage, Jesus very clearly indicates that his judgment would be based on what was done more than on what was believed. See, certainly with Cornelius, it was not just that he feared God, but that he helped the poor enjoyed relationship with God through prayer. I wonder whether some people will stand before Jesus and say something along the lines of, look at my shells, Lord. Aren't they wonderful? Look at my collection of shells. In my retirement years, I walked the beaches of Australia collecting these shells. Aren't they tremendous? Or they say, look, Lord, do you see all my golf trophies? Aren't they just glorious? Oh, look, Lord, do you see all my photos? We've been everywhere. We've been all around the world. Aren't they just great? And there will be some who will spend their retirement years serving others, humbly serving the Lord, and their life is a fragrant offering to him. Now, I realise that I've probably ostracised a whole lot of you by saying that. And when I preached from this message, the beginning of 2011, it was interesting, in the coming week, or so, a number of our retired people said to me, we just feel that the Lord is telling us to move on somewhere else. I swear that happened. We moved on. We're moving on. You know, we just feel that God's moving us on somewhere else. You know, walking on the beach, collecting shells, grey nomading, travelling overseas and even playing golf aren't in and of themselves evil or wrong. Well, probably golf is. <laughs> now I think about it. But we just have to ask ourselves, what fills our days? <laughs> you know, these activities that I mentioned, they're kind of Sabbath-type activities. 
aren't they? They're play. They're a gift from God for our benefit to, to renew and restore us. Jesus said, Sabbath was not made for you. You, know, you weren't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for you. It's good to be reminded that I'm not God and I need to have a break and I don't sustain the world. and We need to have time out. But we also need to remember, we should not make Sabbath our whole life. We should not make play our whole life. We need to remember that we all must give an account of ourselves before God. We must ask ourselves, is my life an offering to God? It's a challenging passage. See, Cornelius was given great influence and power. As a centurion, he could either oppress the peoples of Caesarea or bless them. He chose to bless them. And his life was an acceptable offering to God. Point number two, every person, regardless of whether they're young or old, beautiful, not so beautiful, fat or thin, clever, not so clever, black or white. What was the old thing we used to learn? Red or yellow, black or white, all are precious in his sight. Till I went to Sunday school, can't you? Every person, every person is precious in the eyes of God. Remember Peter said, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Point three, is there space, is there space in your life for God to speak? Is there space? Is there space in your life for God to speak? See, both of these men, Cornelius and Peter, received a vision and a word from the Lord while they were praying. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to hear from God. I do. I want to hear from God. I, I want to hear what he has to say to me from his word. I, I want to hear what he has to say to me through the words of brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I also want to hear from him through dreams and visions and words of knowledge and other extraordinary means. Is there space in your life? And I think probably almost a more important question that's prior to that is do you expect that God is speaking to you? Do you expect God to do stuff? You know, I've learned over the years, if God wakes me up in the middle of the night, if I wake up and there's this kind of sense that I'm just awake like that. Now, I wake up often in the night, but it's not always the same. But if I wake up, my last night, it was like 12 o'clock, I woke up, I'd been asleep for some time. Bam, I woke up and there was the vision of someone in my, like in my mind and I knew I had to pray for that person. So I expected God have for years to speak. So when he speaks, I think, well, I don't understand how all of this works, but I feel I should pray for that person right now. I have no idea what was happening for that person at 12 o'clock last night. But I wanted to pray for them and I did. See, you are not going to hear from God's word if you never read it. And if you never come and sit under the preaching of the word as we're doing today, you're not going to hear from God through your brothers and sisters in Christ if you never hang out with them. If your habit is that, well, I just, 
I might come along here on a Sunday, but I never ever hang out with brothers and sisters where we, we talk about our faith, where we pray together, where we get past small talk. If you're not in a small group, you're probably not going to be hearing God speak to you through your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not going to receive visions or words of knowledge or enter into a holy trance as Peter did if every moment of your life the television is on and you're surfing Facebook or you're playing video games. You know those nights where you just say, we're not watching TV, we're not turning it on. It gets to 7 o'clock and you think, isn't it 10 o'clock? <laughs> Everything goes slowly. It's kind of like there's time. Both men, Cornelius and Peter, were men of prayer. The text says, Cornelius prayed continually, but it seems he observed a special time of prayer at three in the afternoon, as was the Jewish custom. Peter, it says, went up on the roof to pray. They were very specific about this. They, they went to this place, they set aside space in their, their day to go and pray. And it was while he was on the roof praying that he received this powerfully important word from the Lord. A little while ago, I was driving in my car to somewhere. And I, I remember it really clearly. I was in, you know, I was kind of, I was in the mood for some loud rock. I had a CD, a powder finger. I thought, I'm going to crank this up. And I think I put it on. And I felt like the Lord just said to me, can we just turn that off? Can we just have some quiet? And it's interesting because I actually, when I preached from this at the beginning of 2011, that had just happened in the week before. And it was just interesting reading through my notes because I remember that God called me over, like it stopped the car almost. He wanted to say something to me. And it's just, it, it is interesting now when I look back, and Louise and I are looking at the dates, this, this, just over there in the office, thinking, wow, I remember that hey, look, God kind of said, you know, go down, because Dad and I had had this big fight, you know, been this thing going on for 30 years, and every 10 years it had raised its ugly head. And I had this big blue with Dad in the weeks before. And it's like God said to me, you know, go and see Dad. When I look at the dates, I think, my God, <laughs> Dad died a couple of weeks later. And I'm glad I didn't listen to Powderfinger. I really just, I just want to say to you, listen, give space in your time, in your, in your day, to listen to God. It's just funny, isn't it, when you th like, that didn't occur to me till this morning. <laughs> I'm over in the office going, Wow, I wrote that. Fabrine, Dad dies. Wow. <laughs> Give time. Give time for God to speak to you because I think he wants to speak. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for each of us here today and I ask that your word would indeed impact us, that we would be really aware of your spirit who is always bringing things together and doing neat things amongst us and through us for your glory. 
I just pray we would be attentive and attuned to you, your little quiet, still voice, and that we would respond. But I pray we would be challenged, all of us today, by your word. Amen.